You're listening to the Harris Beach Podcast, a show that explores evolving issues in the law and how they shape organizations, the way business is conducted, and how we live and work. The information provided in this episode does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials are for general informational purposes only. Thanks for listening. Here's today's host. Good day. My name is F.L. Gorman. I'm a partner with Harris Beach, a full-service law firm throughout New York State uh, with offices in New Jersey and Connecticut as well. Today on our commercial real estate development podcast series, we have Kevin Schulte, Chief Executive Officer, Founder, and Co-Owner of Green Spark Solar. We are going to be talking about site selection, acquisition, and development of solar projects. Renewable energy will play a significant role in the economic future of New York State. Governor Cuomo has set for a vision, the so-called reforming the energy vision, with the objective of transitioning 50% of the state's electricity to renewable sources by 2030 and reducing greenhouse gas emissions by 85% by 2050. The state's focus on renewables is creating substantial opportunity for real estate developers across the state. Today on the Harris Beach podcast, we kick off a series on real estate development with a discussion about solar energy development. We're joined by Kevin Schulte, founder of GreenSpark Solar, a Rochester-based solar development company. Kevin, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Perhaps we can start off by you telling us a little bit about GreenSpark Solar. How old is the company? How many employees do you have? And what was the driving force to start GreenSpark? So we're about to start our 20th trip around the sun. This this April will be our 19th anniversary as a company. And so we'll, uh, we're headed towards 20 years old. We are currently about 50 people although we're hiring right now for a number of positions. Uh, We started the company, basically, uh, my partners and I were all executives in the renewable energy business, mostly in the utility-scale wind business around the western part of the United States, and started to realize at a pretty young age, 22, 23 years old, that, you know, having been in the industry for a year or two, having studied in college and stuff, that we knew as much as most, and should just kind of start on our own. And so at the time, uh, Governor Pataki uh, in New York was talking about very aggressive renewable energy mandates, and we found it a good place to land. So we ended up in New York State, in spite of the fact that none of us, um, none of us that are still with the business had any roots in New York State. And so we started in Albany in 2002, uh, moved to the Rochester area in 2005. And um, you know, the overall drive of the company very simply is, you know, at a very young age for, for me, from my first college class, my very first college class in environmental chemistry, where the greenhouse effect was showed to me in graphical format, I realized that, whoa, this is a really big problem. And so I, since that first college class, I've dedicated my life to combating climate change because we only have one planet and we'd better do something about it. That's great. And I see that GreenSpark is a certified B Corp. Is that part of walking the talk as far as uh, concern for uh, environmental management? Can you tell us what a certified B Corp is? 
being a certified B Corp means we've gone through a rigorous set of testing and certification to subscribe our business, both through the governance and our bylaws and the way we govern our company and through our actions, we've certified our company as subscribing to a triple bottom line of people, profit, and planets, which means as a company, you know, it is incumbent upon us to treat our people very well, to treat our community very well, to be very active and engaged and involved. Our product is valuable to the planet, but also the actions we take inside of our business, whether it's using electric vehicles as, as part of our fleet, you know, being located on a carbon-free microgrid. These are all things that we're doing to work on the planet. And then profit. I mean, there is no, there is a statement in the B Corp world that says there is no purpose without profit. And so, you know, you have to run a business that makes money in order to do more things. So, um, so that process of becoming a B Corp, it takes a while. There's a pretty rigorous process and the test keeps getting harder. So they keep raising the bar um, of what it takes to become a certified uh, B Corp. And GreenSpark uh, has been a B Corp, I believe, since 2014. Very nice. And along the lines of you need to have some profit, would it be possible or proper to say that your company focuses on three types of solar developments, what I would call like agricultural vacant land, residential and large scale commercial rooftops? Do I have that right? Yeah, I would define it slightly differently. I would say that we focus on, you know, um, commercial solar, uh, whether it is on site or off. So we, we often do rooftops or parking lot canopies or backyard solar. Um, and then we do commercial solar and there's policies in New York state allow you to do commercial solar where you're, you put your solar project up and it's not directly adjacent to your facility and you, you get the benefit of that solar by credits on your electric bill. And then we do residential solar as well. And so residential solar is, we go out and put uh, solar panels on your home or in your backyard uh, and bring you the benefits of that. Uh, woven into those three types of developments that we do, we supply a lot of the power from our solar projects to what is called community solar. So uh, that is where we build a large scale solar farm and send that power to residential customers. So that's our solar development. We also, you know, have our toes dipped in electric vehicle charging where we're doing that both residentially and commercially. Uh, and energy storage coupled with solar uh, in a number of uh, places, both residentially and commercially as well. This podcast series, we're focusing a lot on the actual like development of land and land projects. And in connection with the types of solar development that you're doing, what are your site selection factors for each type of product that you're focusing on, you know, such as uh, location, zoning, parcel size, the economics, you know, what elements in the project need to be in place that you will proceed the sort of the go, no go factors. Can you talk about those a little bit? So I'm going to approach this sort of from two angles. Number, you know, there, there are two ways that we come in contact with a solar project. One is we talk to a potential energy consumer. Right. So a business or an institution, they call us and say, hey, we want to go solar. And 100 percent of the time at GreenSpark, our first look is how do we maximize the property that you have for its solar opportunity? So if you own a 
real estate development, a mixed use, a manufacturer, any of those sort of facilities, even a college campus or school district or something, our first look is to say, okay, you have a set of assets that are your land and your buildings, your parking lot, et cetera. So let us look and see if we can get you to 100% solar energy based on the property that you are located on. And so, you know, we go through a process of looking at your electric bills and there's a process required in New York state where we make sure we've got those, you know, as efficient as possible with, you know, lighting and other retrofits inside your building. And then, and then we see what the solar opportunity is and see if they marry. Oftentimes real estate, you know, particularly older real estate is hard to marry with the solar opportunity. And so, there is this opportunity to do solar field um, from your electric load. And, and so from that perspective, we develop our own uh, greenfield projects where we're out looking for, you know, you, you said vacant land. I would say, you know, typically we're looking for ag land and, and we focus when we talk to farmers uh, and other ag producers, we focus on your least valuable farm property. We are looking for, flat, clear, and open. Optimally, some hills work, but optimally flat, clear, and open. We're looking for proximity to things like roads and um, three-phase transmission lines and things like that uh, in order to get the power off the project. Uh, And then we're looking in areas of New York State where both local support is available, meaning you're not in a community where every person that's ever tried to put up a solar panel has had to go through a long and intense fight in a zoning process or something like that. And then where the county may be supportive with a program to deal with, to effectively deal with property tax. Nice. And I see that you're also an EPC, which seems to be uh, maybe a term of art in your industry. And I believe that stands for engineer, procure and construct. Can you explain a little bit about um, your role as an EPC? Yeah, I mean, we're, we are at our core a design build firm, right? Our, our product specialty is, is solar, solar and storage, solar and EV charging. But we are a design build firm like you would find in many other um, industries. So um, in, in our business, we call it EPC, which is um, engineers. So we design the project. We procure, we buy all the solar panels and racks and inverters and all the different pieces to it. And then we build it. We also... Um, you know, provide our customers with uh, long-term uh, operation and maintenance contracts on our projects so that we can take care of the project for the long-term into the future. So I guess you're right. It is a um, somewhat of a solar-specific term, but in the, the general construction business, it would just be sort of design-build. So you do design-build for other solar developers as well. Yeah, that's a it's a big portion of what we do. There is a ton of people in New York State, you know, either developing the land or bringing finance and doing different aspects of, you know, solar work in New York State. But there are much fewer number of companies that actually build this stuff um, and build it well. So we are that company. We are the company that goes out and builds a lot of solar for other developers, other financiers, other other companies involved in solar bring some level of project together, we, we go out and build it for them. Um, it's set out in the beginning of our conversation, Governor Cuomo is steadfast on executing his reforming the energy vision, where 50% of the state electricity would be generated from renewable sources by 2030 and cutting 85% of greenhouse gases by 2050. How is this reforming the energy vision 
affecting solar development in the Empire State? And from your perspective, how is the industry responding? Interesting question. There's a lot, lot there, and there's a lot in policy. It's an interesting statement. I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll quote this. So I was on the phone with uh, um, Solar Energy Technology Office at the Department of Energy last week, and their statement to us was, and, and this is important context, that if 2035 is the date by which we need a carbon-free electricity future, and for solar to play its part, it will need to install as much solar as it has in the last 15 years, every 15 months between now and 2035. So that's a tremendous amount of solar. It's a tremendous amount of wind. It's a tremendous amount of battery storage that will be required to get to a zero carbon electricity future in this country. So Rev, renewing, restoring, reforming the energy vision when it started a couple of years ago, started out with a really important set of statements that basically said carbon-free electricity particularly, also particularly energy that is placed on the distribution grid is more valuable um, than a regular brown electron coming from a um, nuclear or a gas plant or a coal plant or, or an oil plant. And so that's a really important policy statement that hasn't actually been all that pragmatically delivered inside of the process to date. So if I sell a community solar electron to a residence in Rochester, we can save money. We will save every customer money. Um, but we're fighting against the fact that the rates defined under restoring the energy vision haven't lived up to their definition that it is more valuable, right, to um, to be on the distribution grid and be carbon free. And so I think that the policy will continue to need to be reworked as we go into the future. It as of now sets up for some of the best solar policy in New York State, again, allowing us to deliver solar to uh, every customer class from, you know, large-scale commercial and institutional, industrial, all the way down to residential with a solar product that is cheaper than uh, just paying for an electron from RGE. But in order for us to get back to that volume of solar that the DOE talked about, right, it's got to be more aggressive. And in part, I think that the reliance on the utilities in that process is challenged. And in, in all of the private practice of generation industries that I work in, the independent power producers, we don't get anywhere near that, you know, 12% return on investment. So there's got to be a leveling of that playing field and a leveling of the influence in between the wires and the wires companies like RGE or National Grid, et cetera and the producers of the electrons in order for, you know, a carbon-free future to really become a reality. And so there's a lot there. There's a lot that's good. Um, the market loves it at times and hates it at others. Um, but there's also a lot more to do in order to make it actually meet its vision of a carbon-free future for New York State. That answer sort of leads me into my uh, last question, and I call it the magic wand question. If you had a magic wand, what aspects of local, state, or federal law would you change or leave untouched that would assist solar developers in meeting Governor Cuomo's renewable energy vision and maintaining a healthy uh, solar industry in New York State? 
Yeah, I mean, I could take this on all three levels, right? At the local and state level, one of the biggest impediments right now is the the renewing the energy vision, restoring, reforming the energy vision process. Um, the rates need to be re-engineered to be more effective. Uh, so that's that's there. The second big impediment in New York State is our property tax um, situation is a, is a is an abject disaster. There is um, and every community in New York State can choose whether or not they want to fully tax a solar project as real property. We can, you're a lawyer, we can argue whether solar is real or personal property, and and that would, you know, be a a good argument. But there are communities that are saying it's real property, and we're going to tax it in full. And then there are folks that are saying it's completely exempt. And so you end up picking, you know, these communities are ending up picking whether or not they would like solar in, in their communities, in spite of the fact that no matter what community they live in, they're going to get the benefit from an atmospheric and uh, air quality and climate change perspective. And so we really need to deal with the property tax issue. I think fun, found, fundamentally, it's it's this conversation around real versus personal property. And then at the federal level, uh, and all the way down, really, uh, solar access is a challenge. So in our business, we are endeavoring to find opportunities for every customer to have an opportunity to participate in clean energy. Every customer, independent of their wealth, independent of their FICO scores, independent of their location, should have access to the clean energy future. They, they talk about fence line communities of the past. Um, and we, we are going to potentially repeat those mistakes uh, going into the future if we don't ensure at a federal level that we are developing uh, the clean energy future in a sort of equitable way where everyone, communities of um, you know, low and moderate income communities as well as other communities can participate both from a consumption of uh, clean energy and from an employment in the clean energy workspace perspective, we need to make sure that our policy at the federal level are driving that. So as you think about a, you know, expansion of the solar tax credits at the federal level, ensuring that those credits are increased in order to support uh, deployment in low and moderate income neighborhoods, that they are increased um, for paying prevailing wage, things like that are really going to drive um, us towards that sort of DOE vision of, 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 you know, replicating the last 15 years every 15 months for uh, until 2035. Kevin, thank you uh, very much. That was a, uh, a great answer to the magic wand question. And we'll be following the developments on the property tax front on the utility rates and uh, see if what DOE does to um, try and fulfill their vision. Thank you very much for participating in Harris Beach's podcast on real estate development, site selection, acquisition, and development of solar projects. Best wishes to you and Green Spark Solar for a tremendous 2021. Thanks for listening to the Harris Beach podcast. Be sure to visit harrisbeach.com to join the conversation and access show notes. Please rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast.